Today is March 23rd, 2016, and I realized that I kind of I thought about it. We, we start off usually our sermons with a date and then a title. I'm going to wait just a second on the title. I'll, I'll give it to you here in just a second. But I was thinking about March 23rd. Uh, this is also considered the Passion Week. So I was just thinking about it and going, hey, so just got me thinking about dates. Um, by the way, we're going to celebrate the fact that it's Resurrection Sunday, this Sunday for Easter. Our culture here in the, in the West is celebrating that it was the day that our Savior was risen, right? This is actually not the right date for any of those things to take place. Um, uh, it is March 23rd, 2016, according to the Gregorian calendar. Pope Gregory in the, 16, uh, the 16th century, the 1500s, Kind of tried to fix some things. The math was getting better. They were figuring out a little bit more over the Julian calendar. By the way, today is March 10th, 2016, if you're on the Julian calendar. In case you're wondering, you're like, no, it's the 23rd. I'm just saying it's also the 10th. Welcome to the 10th. If you were Eastern Orthodox, you're going to have a different, uh, you're looking at a different calendar date. Today is the 14th of Adar, the 2nd, 5,776, if you're a Jew. 14th of Adar 2, or Adar Bet, 5776 if you're a Jew. Amen. Yes. <laughs> like, what are you doing, brother? We just, we just want a date. I'm giving you a date. You know what I found out? I realized when I started kind of playing with these things today, and I went, today is the 14th of Adar Bet. I went and I studied a little bit about the Jewish calendar. I had mistakenly thought that a Gregorian calendar was on a solar basis. The earth, what is this one? Does this revolve or rotate? The earth rotates, right? The earth rotates, sorry. And the moon is revolving around the earth, and the earth and the moon are revolving around the sun, yes? So... The Gregorian calendar is based on the solar understanding of of our universe. And I mistakenly thought that the Jewish calendar was based on a lunar. Well, I was partially correct. It actually takes into account, surprisingly enough, God's people have taken into account more than what I thought they did at first. They're taking into account the spin of the earth, the lunar calendar, and a solar calendar, and they're adjusting for all three things simultaneously. I went... What in the world? An average Jewish month is 29 or 30 days. No 28, no 31. There are 12.4 lunar cycles in a year. I'm, I'm gonna, if, you're not, if you're not math oriented, just give me a second. I promise I'll get, I'll get past the math here in just a second. So every first month of the year, first month became what month? Nisan. You know why they, that became the first month of their year? Because that is when they left Egypt. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 2, it says, This month will be for you the first month. Be like getting to July, and instead of celebrating the 4th of July, they would have said, This is your new year. Well, that's pretty important. I, I, I can see why they would celebrate that. You have to adjust. So every two or three years, there's actually a leap year. They call it a pregnant year. In which you have a 13th month. Just stick with me for a second, I promise. It's Wednesday night, I know we're like, come on man, really, just stick with me. 
And they put it, they actually add it between the 11th and 12th month. And it's Adar 1, but it's the one that's added. So it's not there every year. But then when they add it, it's Adar 1. And then there's Adar 2. It's actually, in our, in our cycle, when do we have a leap year? Every four years. Because we're doing it based on a solar calendar. And we're saying that our years are actually 365.25, basically. So we adjust for that extra quarter of a day every four years. We get our extra day, and there we go. As the Jews are doing it, it's a 19-year cycle. 19. I'm like, 19? How did you come up with 19? But, but then, I, then I saw this. It's, a, it's in a pattern. It's a three-year, three-year, two-year. So every third year, every third year, every second year, there's a, there's a leap year. And then three, 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 two. May not mean much to you guys. But what I immediately saw when I thought through that is if I were going to play a major scale for you on a piano, it would be the same type of pattern. Da, da, da. Da, 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 da. The exact same spacing. And it, it actually just kind of overwhelmed me. As, as you guys know, as a music teacher, I get all nerdified, right, real quick. And, and let me not go into too many more details because I think that's enough of those kind of details. But let me encourage you in this. What some people look at and we try to find the mathematical precision of our mighty God, and it is there. It is beautiful and wonderful. Can I encourage you that God is piecing your life together like a symphony orchestra? We're worried sometimes about the details, about the numbers, about how things are supposed to be and why this isn't this way. And can let me encourage you that God is, He knows the tune to your heart. He knows the exact melody that your life is supposed to carry. He knows when there should be consonants, which sounds really pleasing to your ear, and when there should be dissonance because it brings a different type of tension there that actually brings a different type of glory. Amen. Whether you are in a consonant period in your life where everything sounds very harmonious or if you're in a dissonant place today can I encourage you that our God is playing a song with your life I've never thought about it this way until today and it blew me away I just went when you were speaking the world into existence were you playing a song for us were you singing a song to me when you stretched out the universe with the palm of your hand I'm thinking of how can you get all these details right? And we, we've looked at it. I've presented it to you about all the minute details that are there and how precise they have to be. But I've never thought about it. The former music teacher hasn't really thought about it that actually creation is a symphony unto him. How he has orchestrated things. It was said that Beethoven, genius in music, an absolute genius. We, I could play songs for you, and you may not know that it was Beethoven, but when I played it, you'd go, oh, I know that one. You may have no idea what the name is, but you'd go, oh, I, I, I've sung that melody to my children before. He was going deaf from the time he was early on and, and actually went totally deaf. It was said that he thought about music like a picture. How can you do You can't hear the notes that you're playing anymore. How are you doing this? I see a picture in my mind's eye and I just put the music that matches the picture. Let me encourage you not to get stressed out about the dissonance that's in your life. Can we just trust that God is there? If you analyze anything in music, 
Why is that note there? Sometimes they're just called a passing tone. You think you're trying to spell it a certain way and he's just designing that that one is just a bridge from one place to another. You're trying to camp on it. He's saying it's just a bridge. Do you know anybody who lives on a bridge? That's weird. <laughs> Trolls. <laughs> Trolls live underneath the bridge, right? What, bri- what bridge are you trying to live on today? It's just a bridge. It's just trying to get you from point A to point B. Would you, can we allow God to actually orchestrate our lives tonight? Can you just relax in where God has you? Can you just take a deep breath and allow the dissonance to be there? Because the, I wish I were more capable on piano because I, I can demonstrate it for you. I can play some very simple things for you and they can be very nice but I can actually add dissonance in the way that it actually makes it much more beautiful. It's hard to explain. If you're not a musician, perhaps that doesn't make any sense. I can intentionally play notes that really don't fit in that chord, and all it does is just make it all the more beautiful. This has almost nothing to do with what I'm going to talk on tonight. And this is why I love my church. Because God is actually here and He actually cares about you. He actually cares that you came in and you were struggling tonight. He cares about that. He knows that you came in and some of you were stressed out beyond what you wanted to let anybody else know. You gave us a nice smile, you gave us a high five, you gave us a hug, and the truth is, is you're stressed out. You've got dissonance going on in your own heart and you can't put it in the right category and you're fighting against it. I'm telling you, God's trying to give you and make your life a beautiful symphony. One of the things they do as a, as a teacher, I would sometimes orchestrate a piece. I would listen to a piece, perhaps on the radio, pop tune that we're going to play in the stands, and I would write it out for the band. It wasn't designed for the band, so I had to know enough about the song itself and each and every individual instrument in here so that I could highlight the strengths, minimize the weaknesses, and create something that sounded very, very powerful. I used to love doing that, actually. Put this in the right range so that this, boy, they're strong. They're playing and they're, they're at their best. They're at their loudest right here at the loudest part of the song. At the strongest part when I need them to be strongest, I have arranged it where they're in the place that is their sweet spot and they will play. I think God's doing exactly that to us as a church. You know what today is on that Jewish calendar that we talked about? The 14th of Adar bet, a dar two. Today is the beginning of the day of Purim. It's a day, it's a celebration. At 6 p.m. is when the Jewish calendar flips over to the new day. We do it at midnight. They do it at 6 p.m. Evening and morning of the first day. So they start in the evening. It's the festival. It's the celebration of Purim. Today is the Wednesday before Easter on our calendar. It's almost like we got to the right place that today should be a day of something celebrated. We just kind of got there at the wrong time. We were at the right place, but the wrong time. Uh, I've talked a lot of details here, and, and 
And sometimes we just need a doctor to help us to understand some things. So I, I have a doctor, uh, just a little bit from a doctor, uh, a song here that I'd like to play for you guys to help kind of understand. So the title of tonight's sermon today is March 23rd, 2016 on the Gregorian calendar. Uh, the title of tonight's sermon is Right Place, Wrong Time. I'm not going to dance for you, so don't worry about it. That's what Chrissy said for that I was throwing at you. We had to get some Dr. John in here. It was right place, wrong time. I must have been in the right place, but it must have been the wrong time. It just, it made me think of, this is, it's kind of what we're celebrating here tonight. We're going to, we're going to actually talk about Purim. We're going to talk about what God has done there. We got to the right place. This, this day, we're going to celebrate something important here, even if our calendar put us at the wrong time, right? Um, it's amazing how, um, and DJ, if you go ahead and put up, put up the slide that I can see on the screen right there, the months. If you've been here for very long, you understand that, that we have two different uh, calendars from the Jewish calendar. You see the months there, Tishri, Cheshvan, all the way down through there. The old, the original was this. Well, well, just leave that right there. I'm going to read something to you out of Genesis chapter 8. This is just a bonus, a lanyap. Something extra. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 4, it says this. This is talking about Noah. I'll start in verse 3. The waters receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day, everybody say 17th day. 17th day. Of the seventh month, everybody say seventh month. Seventh month. The ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Uh, 17th day. And obviously this is in Genesis, so we're going to look at the old timeline here So of the seventh month. So it's the 17th day of Nisan is when the ark actually came and landed. When you go to Exodus, everybody turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. We'll leave the calendar there for just another minute. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. Tell the whole Israelite community of Israel, the whole community of Israel, that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. 
And he continues to go through and says, and gives you the idea. You take the lamb on what day? The tenth day of the month of Nisan. And as you go through, you get, you get what we see, and it becomes the fourteenth day of Nisan is the day that we're celebrating the Passover, the day that they're led out. So if, if Jesus was sacrificed on the 14th of Nisan, what day would he have been resurrected on three days later? Shut the front door. The 17th day of Nisan, <laughs> the day that they came out of the ark, and the day that Jesus was risen, it's on the same day? Huh. Huh. It's almost like new life happens on the 17th of Nisan. It's an amazing thing that we can see here. Let's, let's just talk about this for just a second. Let's celebrate and understand that today, if you haven't been here before, um, we're going we're gonna to debunk Good Friday just really quickly. Okay? Good Friday is the day that has been celebrated that Jesus uh, died on the cross. I remember as a kid going, what makes that Good Friday? Wouldn't that be like bad Friday? <laughs> Awful Friday, you know? But it's good Friday. Well, because your Savior died for you. Oh, okay. Amen. Um, so if Jesus died on the afternoon of a Friday and was buried before dark, before Saturday, so let's just say he's in the dark Friday evening, Saturday, and then he's up before Sunday. Before sunrise on Sunday, Jesus has been risen, is no longer in the tomb. Well, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Really, it started at 6 p.m., so it's really just Saturday <laughs> in that way. And if you've been here long enough, you know, but let's take a look at a few scriptures. Mark chapter 15. The bottom line of this is what? Actually, he was crucified on a Wednesday. He's crucified on a Wednesday. And I'll show you that here over the next few verses and make it very, very plain to you. If you would like a full entire sermon on this, I believe it's called Three Days and Three Nights. You can look in our sermon history and you can find this. I'm just using this as a transitional piece and we're actually going to get on to Purim here in just a minute. Mark chapter 15, verse 33. I just wanted to celebrate the right thing at the right time here. So... <laughs> Verse 33, Mark chapter 15, verse 33, it says this, At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. So this is from approximately noon to 3 p.m. in our understanding. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling out to Elijah. One man ran filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them was Mary Magdalene. Uh, were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Look at verse 42. It was preparation day. Everybody say preparation day. Preparation day. 
That is the day before the Sabbath. Many people see that and they say, well, see, the Sabbath is on a Saturday. So Good Friday makes sense because it was on the day before the Sabbath. Let's turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Let's first of all read in verse 14. John 19 and verse 14. And it says this. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. So this means that they are getting ready for the entire Passover week, not just preparation for the Sabbath day only. Let's look in verse 31. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Everybody say special Sabbath. Special Sabbath. I like birthdays. You you, you like having a birthday? See, if you if you got somebody like Natalie, she has like a birthday month. Like it's an entire actual celebratory thing. A week. Week that celebrates. Days that celebrate, right? We have we have a birth date. My birthday is November twelfth. You know what happens because my birthday is November twelfth is that each year, the day that my birthday falls on, what does it do? It changes. My date of my birth stays the same, and the day that I celebrate it each year changes. The Jews were to celebrate Passover beginning on the 14th of Nisan every year. Every year. And you know what it would do? Um, the 15th was supposed to be a special Sabbath where you did no work. It would be like, if I, were, if I were more cool like Natalie, it would be probably what Natalie would do, something like this, where on my birthday maybe I'll take a, we'll do a special dinner, and then you know what? Every year... I'm taking the next day off. I mean, I mean I'm taking the next day. Every, every time my birthday comes around, I'll go to dinner on my birthday, and the next day I'm just taking the day off. My birthday? It's my party. And I'm, right? I, I, I'm going to do this because it's my birthday and I'm going to celebrate. And one year, if my birthday is on a Saturday, and so the next day is a Sunday, and you look at it and kind of go, oh, well, it must be a Saturday-Sunday thing. This, these misconceptions are what kind of help push It pushed our calendar to to separate Passover from this. It pushes us to misunderstand that there's actually a special Sabbath here. Because on the 14th, they're supposed to start the Feast of Passover. And on the 15th, they're supposed to have a Sabbath. And in this case, let's take a look at another another scripture here. Um, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 16. Many of you may know this, but also know that there are some newer folks here. And so we're just going over this. Hopefully succinctly. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 16. Verse 16 says this, On the first day hold a sacred assembly, and hold another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days, except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all that you may do. It's your birthday. The birthday of your nation, we're going to take this day and we're going to make it a special Sabbath. Now turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. And I wish Angel was here tonight because I'd ask her if these are in red letters in her Bible, right? In my Bible, these are in red letters. It means that Jesus himself said this. 
Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. It says this, For his journey was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish. Everybody say three days, three days. and three nights. three nights. In the belly of a huge fish. doesn't say whale. It says huge fish. So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The reason that Friday cannot be is because if you're going to say that it touched three days, it, it included three days. So maybe you can get away with Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's still tough to do. I'm only hearing like 36 hours in there, knowing what the rest of it says. Jesus himself says it's going to be three days and three nights. You know what that means? He's thinking a 24-hour period. So for 72 hours, uh, and if you haven't done any studies with us or heard some of our foundations, three days is a pretty important amount of time in the Bible. I can't imagine that they would have said three days and meant anything else but three days and three nights. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, DJ, can you put up the, um, there should be a picture that kind of helps in a pictorial way. Okay, you can look on the screens here. On Wednesday, Wednesday, we have it starts off at 6 p.m., and then goes to 6 p.m. on the next day. So during the sixth hour of the day, we see the darkness coming. It stayed dark. 3 p.m. on Wednesday. He's crucified. They take him down. They have to make rushed preparations. Why? Because the next day is a special Sabbath day. They're not supposed to do any work. That's why we read out of Exodus. And by the way, I could have done this with 50 scriptures. If you're not going to understand what we're saying with, with the scriptures that I'm choosing, I'm figuring that 50 probably won't help either. I'm picking a few, but I will be glad to go over this with anybody after. be glad to show you the three days and three nights sermon that Pastor Eric did years ago. be glad to explain it to you further, but I figure that this is really the crux of this. Understanding the Jewish day starts at 6 p.m., goes to 6 p.m. of the next day. He's crucified. They have to hurry and get him buried. They have to prepare him and bury him before the official Sabbath begins because they're not allowed to do it on the Sabbath day. So he's buried by, let's just call it 6 p.m. on Thursday. So one day is Thursday. Two days is Friday. Now we're on the weekly Sabbath. The third day, from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. on Saturday afternoon, what we would call Saturday afternoon, he is in the grave for three days and three nights. And sometime after 6 p.m., Before daylight, when Mary and Martha and people come running to the tomb, you get that He is risen again. He's risen after three days and three nights, just like He said. Now, now we could go in and talk about how it fits perfectly, the scheme of what they were supposed to do throughout the book of Exodus for the Feast of Passover. We could talk about how it perfectly fits unleavened bread and the Feast of First Fruits as well. I actually just don't think there's really any room to argue about this. The only way we can argue about it is to say, hey, I've always been told this. I thought he was killed on Friday and was up before sunrise on Sunday, and that was three days. Okay. I think the preponderance of evidence in the Scripture is very, very clear. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1 says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
<laughs> What's up? How you doing? His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Three days and three nights. I like to just, with this version, with this understanding of it, there are no loopholes in the Scripture. There aren't any problems that you can look at and find, hey, this really doesn't match perfectly what went on in the, in the everyday life of the Jew. This fits everything that you can imagine. So it's interesting. So we got to the right place where we're going to celebrate some things tonight <laughs> at the wrong time. Pastor um, Eric is going to be in Romania, actually during when the Eastern Orthodox, I believe, are going to be celebrating Passover or Easter. They'll be celebrating Easter. And it actually will line up with the actual Passover, I think. They're going to be there that entire time that will cover both of them, right? I want to turn now to, to the book of Esther, chapter 3. This was the comparison that I had never seen before. And because today, during Passion Week, <laughs> is actually the Feast of Purim, then let's look at Purim for just a minute. Amen. Are you guys with me on the three days, three nights? Yes. If that is something that you've never heard, we'll, again, we'll be glad to show it to you. I think it's beyond contestation in the Word. I think it is very... Uh, if you've been around this church for a while, that's not the first time you've heard this. But for our newer folks, maybe you've never heard that. I did want to present that to you so at least you can be walking in the light, walking in the truth in every area and not have any lapses in your understanding of what the Word of God says. Amen? Amen. <laughs> so the comparison that, that we started doing is, okay, but we are in... Everyone around you is going to say, hey, it's Easter Sunday coming up. And if I have time, maybe I explain it to them. If not, I'm going, amen. This will be the day that we're going to celebrate Jesus being resurrected from the dead. And I'll be glad to talk to you about that, about my risen Savior. I, I'm, going to take, I, I, I'm taking every advantage of it being Passion Week. I'm taking every advantage to talk to people about my risen Savior. That this is the day we're going to celebrate it. Amen. That's the day that our culture has chosen to celebrate it. Right? But because we're in Passion Week and today is actually Purim, it caused me to start thinking about, Lord, Lord, could, could you show us something tonight that might help us? Can, I reread the entire book of Esther today. Just, oh, it's so good. But I thought about Esther in a different way that I've never thought about in light of our risen Savior. In, in light of Passion Week and what was going on. Lord, are there similarities? Are there some things that work in this? And I, and I think he gazed, I think we got to the right place. Even at the wrong time, amen? amen? Esther, chapter 3. I'm going to take a few things that... We have so many Bible scholars in this place. You guys, we could probably talk on this all night. I could probably do 20 or 30 of them that would be similarities that we can do. I'm just going to pull a few of them out that seem to have just impacted me this afternoon, impacted us as we were studying. The word Purim is actually the Hebrew word for lots. Pure means lot. Purim, if you see the letters I am at the end of a Hebrew word, it means it's plural. Elohim, I am at the end. This is a plural word for this. So let's take a look at Esther chapter 3 and verse 7. It says this. Uh, and uh, DJ, you can go ahead and go to the scriptures now. I think that'll, that'll be great. Thank you. In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, everybody say first month. First month. 
the month of Nisan. Hmm. They cast the pure, that is, the lot, in the presence of Haman to select a day and a month. And the lot fell on the twelfth month, the month of Adar. Now, what are they doing? They're, they're casting lots to figure out, and for those of you who may not be as familiar with the story, Haman is plotting to kill not just a Jew, not just some of the Jews. Haman is plotting to kill the nation of the Jews. And so they're, uh, they're flipping coins. <laughs> they are uh, uh, gambling. They're rolling the dice to figure out which month it should be. They're rolling the dice. Oh, look, it's 12, so it's the 12th month. That's when we're going to do it. This is, what month is it? It's the first month of the year. And on the 12th month, they're going to execute their plan. And we'll talk more about the plan in just a second. Hold your finger there in Esther, and I want you to go to Matthew chapter 27. Just some similarities here as I think about it between Esther's story actually the story of the Jews and Purim, and the story of Jesus during the Passion Week. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 35. You know, with me? When they had crucified Him, they divided up His clothes. By how, how did they do it? By casting lots. Well, who's winning the clothes? I don't know. Let's play battle. (laughs) So we used to play a lot in my house. We were not a very sophisticated card game playing household. We'd play battle. I laid it down and I had a seven and you had an eight. So you win and you take both cards, right? We just just saw who won. right? They're they're doing the same thing for Jesus' clothes there at the cross. Another thing that I saw, turn back to Esther. We're going to just bounce back and forth. So keep your place there in Esther. Chapter 4. And let's look in verse 16. I tell you what, before we do that one, let's 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 look in chapter three and verse nine. There. Esther three and nine. It's two verse eight. Sorry, verse eight. I'll get it. Just, just, just hang with me. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There's a certain people, everybody say certain people, dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom, whose customs are different from those of all other people and who do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. This is the same lie that's been told about God's people for the entirety of the human race. These people are different. And you know what? You shouldn't tolerate the difference. It's amazing to me. That's still the same echo. That's still the same cry that people have now, specifically for the Jews. And by extension, God's people. You know, there's more anti-Semitism in Europe right now. There's as much as there's been in the last 50 years. There's a council that some of the European nations got together and did about anti-Semitism. It's in the news. You can look it up. They did not include any Jews on the council to figure out about anti-Semitism. 
Um, so we're going to create a coalition to discuss why Hispanic people are being uh, railed against and we're not going to include any Hispanic people. It just doesn't make any sense until you go, oh, but God's people are always different. There's an entire council made up of nations and they forgot to include the Jews. Perhaps they were demonstrating the problem in their own selection process. This, this is a big problem. And it goes all the way back to Haman. You know what? Uh, Haman is such a, a bad guy in, the, in, the, in this story. And even now, as they celebrate the Feast of Purim, and it's supposed to be a fun. It's supposed to be lighthearted. Kids often do plays and they present because it's just supposed to be, man, we won. We were victorious. This is such a great day. Let's celebrate. So the kids get involved. And when they read through the story, they will read through the entire story of Esther. And every time that Haman's name comes up, they boo and they stomp their feet so loudly because everyone knows when they're about to say the name of, of Haman. They shout so loudly and they stomp their feet where you're not supposed to even be able to hear the name of Haman. They figured if God blotted his name out, then they should do the same. Amen. Yeah. To this day, when you go there, when you're around it, this is exactly what still happens today. Whose customs are different from those of all the other peoples and who do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. Well, I'm sure it's not, according to you. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I will put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry out this business. I will bribe you now, king, to accomplish this. There's this plan that, that got put in place. There's an enemy's plan before the people of God even knew anything about it. There's this plan that was set up in advance for them. Take a look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse 13. Luke 4, 13 says this, When the devil had finished all this tempting, <laughs> he left Jesus until an opportune time. An opportune time. Jesus, uh, the in devil is conflicting and confronting Jesus. He's tempting him after Jesus has fasted for 40 days. And he gets there and he's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to leave now. Why? Because I'm waiting for an opportune time. It's kind of what's going on here in Esther. This is the first month, first month of the year. And he's saying at the 12th month, this is going to happen. So you know what we're doing? We just got a plan. Turn to John chapter 14. And verse 28. It says this, You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If, if you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer for the Prince of this world is coming. There's a date that's coming. There's a fulfillment of this plan. The enemy left for a more opportune time. So that things could kind of continue on and then there would be a confrontation. I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. 
He thinks that he's waiting for an opportune time, but what he doesn't understand is that it's God the one that's controlling the times. It's God the one that's orchestrating how these things are going. But the world must learn that I love the Father and, I, and that I do exactly, everybody say exactly, exactly, what my Father has commanded me to do. Oh, that that will be the comment about our lives. Amen. Not that we are great men and women. Not that we have accomplished untellable adventures. But that it could be said about you, it could be said about me, that we did exactly what our Father told us to do. Come now and let us leave. Let's go back to Esther. It also made me think about this. If the enemy has been in, the plan had been in place, Haman had put this plan in place, the adversary has a plan in place. Let's turn to Esther chapter 5 and verse 1. Speaking about the plan being in place, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther, when the king saw his queen, when the king saw his bride standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. I want the king to be pleased when he sees us as a bride. Look in verse 3. Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet that I have prepared for him. We're going to go back and catch a little bit of the details how we got to this, because I don't want you to miss that. She goes in before the king. He has to acknowledge her in a favorable way, or she's dead. She says... He says, hey, Esther, what do you need? If it, if it meets with your approval, I would love for you and Haman to come with me now to a feast that I've prepared. So you know what she did before she walked into the king? Battling with the issue of whether she would live or die, you know what she did? She planned a party. She prepared the feast before. I don't know, I can't tell you how many times I've read this story. And I never thought about the fact that she prepared the feast, before she walked in. There are some things that we're going to have to prepare before we know what the outcome is going to be or you miss the opportunity. There's going to be some things that we just have to obey God and say, I am not sure if I'm going to come out of this on the right end. I'm not sure if I'm going to live or die. I'm not sure if I'm going to succeed or fail. But you know what? I'm going to be ready for God to deliver. (laughs) You know, you can throw us in the fire if you want, king. Because our God is able to deliver us. But you know what happens? Even if he does not, we're still not going to bow our knee to you. Daniel chapter 3. There are some things that you have to... There are times our obedience is more important when we cannot see and we're not sure that the outcome is going to be good. Lord, I thought you said this. I think you said this, but then we look at it and go, well, I'm not even sure if if I'm going to be able to make it. Amen. We have a story that helps us. We have an entire Bible that helps us, but we have specifically this story that says she had the whole thing planned. What is God preparing in your life now? 
If the Vincents don't stay steady for the last 10 years, 14 years, when the door opens, guess what? Man, praise God, we can walk through the door. All right, now what? I guess now we'll go get the banquet ready. No, no, no. They're preparing a banquet for the people that they will minister to for the last 14 years of their life. Will they learn things? Of course they will. Will they grow? Of course they will. Their preparation is now going to be seen in what they do. Your preparation, when you, when you finally meet the moment, what about Noah? If Noah waits until he starts feeling raindrops to start building an ark, we're all in trouble. We're all dead. <laughs> Done. Well, Lord, I hear you, and uh, logically it would seem that uh, just build the ark, man. Just start building. It looks like the height of futility. Lord, you want me here doing what at this church? You want me to sit and follow people around? Yes, that's exactly what he wants you to do. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but how do I... But I've got great things destined in my life. Amen. Good for you. You know what you're doing now? Is you're preparing the feast. So that when the king sees you and is pleased with you, you're ready. Amen. You can't do this thing and wait to get ready until after the doors open. Far too many Christians wait for the door to open before they prepare. That's not how our kingdom works. That's not how the kingdom of heaven works. You have to prepare and then the doors open. You have to step out in faith while the floodwaters are still too high. You're at flood stage. You shouldn't be going forward. That's when you take the ark and you walk. This is crazy. That's when, Moses, you hold up your staff and the winds begin to blow and it prepares the pathway for you. How many examples do we need? This is exactly what our kingdom requires. You always have to go. You always have to go. You always have to prepare. You always have to do. And then it shows that, man, you're a genius. No, man, I was scared. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like my life is almost like, you know those little uh, mechanical doors at a store? You know, you walk up to them and they open up. I feel like most of the time my life is not me getting to walk up to the door to see if it opens or not. I'm back in the parking lot somewhere and God's like, I want you to run at that door. (laughs) Like run up to it and then stop and wait for it to open? No, No, I want you to run up to the door. (laughs) But what if it doesn't open? Then it's going to (laughs) hurt. Okay, amen. <laughs> what if it doesn't open fast enough? What if it doesn't recognize because of my blazing speed that I'm coming at it? <laughs> you don't worry about all that. That's the door. Start running. Why? Because Hebrews 11 tells us without faith it's impossible to please Him. I know that we know this. I feel in my spirit we just need to be reminded of these things tonight. Amen. You just need to be reminded that you've got to go and that he'll make the way. You've got to hear what he's saying to you and do it, even if every circumstance seems contrary. You might be on your last bit of food, and God's going to tell you to make food for the prophet that comes in. You might be on your last sense of hope, of encouragement, of strength, 
And God's saying, yes, I want you to take that strength and give it away. (laughs) But Lord, you don't understand. If I give that away, I have nothing. You don't understand. I'm orchestrating your life. This is the right note for the right time. Play it exactly how I showed you to play it. Okay, Lord. I'm not saying that everything's always going to work out well. I'm not saying that if you miraculously use wonderful faith that it will always work out where the door opens in front of you. (laughs) But his obedience, your obedience to him is a great gift. Lord, I I may be a total flop. I may not have even heard you right. I may be running at the wrong door. I may be running at the wrong time. Lord, would you take all of my feebleness? I'd rather run at the door believing that it's you than to stay still and never know. I would rather my life be an offering unto you, a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma unto you, because you don't need my success, you need my obedience. You don't actually need me to do anything. You don't actually need me to be success in man's eyes or in my own eyes, because truthfully, that's half the time what I'm fighting for. It may say that I'm trying to get God's will, but the truth is maybe I'm just trying to shade it where I look good. Maybe that door closes and it's the best thing that's happened to me. Maybe I'm running full speed and I just, bam! Amen. Lord, even my mistake, I lift it up to you. Even what feels like to be a failure to me and I feel embarrassed and, and, Lord, have I disgraced you? Have I failed you in front of other people? Just be obedient. Just prepare the feast even if your life is given the day before or the moment before. Esther chapter 4. Because what happens is this. Verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, He sent back this answer. Do do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family, your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Famous verse right there. For such a time as this. We use that, we kind of throw it around a lot. In Christianity. The issue is, is that the entire nation of people, there was a day. Hey, we're going to write it down. We're going to put it in everybody's language. We're going to send it all the way across the world. And it's going to say, on the 13th day of Adar, in the 12th month, all the Jews, all of them, we're going to take care of all of them. Put that on your calendar and circle it. I was thinking, as, as I was thinking through this afternoon, I was like, why would you do that? Like, I'm thinking, you're telling me when I can be prepared for. Oh, they're doing it so they can increase the fear level. This is the day you're going to die. That's it, right here. Circle it on your calendar. 13th day of Adar. You're dead. You're dead. Look at it. I want you to see it every day as you walk into your bathroom. Every day when you get in your car, I want it to be circled on your mirror. This is the day. This intimidation. 
She is having to deal with that and understanding the sentence has already been given. This is the, this is the destiny. Mordecai has to remind her and say, hey, whether you die today, on the 13th of Adar, how about we become so self-sacrificing? How about we count ourselves as dead people anyway? Dead man walking, right? I've already died with Christ. He died so that I can die not only to sin, but I'm going to die to my own way. That self-sacrifice. Turn to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. Verse 7. Jonah 1, 7 says this, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. More lots, huh? They cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. Take a look at verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? They got their answer by more lots and they fell to, to Jonah. Things are getting worse, so they, go, they asked Jonah, Say, man. I mean, we all know. We all saw the lots fall to you, right? So, uh, what should we do with you? (laughs) This is getting really bad out here. What does Jonah say? Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Might be a part of the story of Jonah that we forget sometime. Yep, the lot fell to me. I understand that it's my disobedience. So, you know what? The truth is, is the only way this is going to work out is if I sacrifice myself. Out of all the weirdness that went on in Jonah before then, he he gets the idea and he understands this of self-sacrifice. Turn to John chapter 10. Verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. When we can lay down our lives for what God has called us to do, we are literally reflecting our risen Savior. He laid down His life for the sheep. He laid it down. Could have taken it. Could have stormed the gates of the entire universe. And He says, I'm going to lay down my life. Why? For the sheep. Because that's exactly what they need. Esther does the same thing. She comes in and says, I'm going to lay down my life for my people. Incredible. Turn back to Esther, chapter 3. And verse 13. Uh, Let's go to verse 12. It'll it'll help with the continuity. Esther 3, 12. Then on the thirteenth day of the first month, the royal... Secretaries were summoned. They wrote out in script of each providence and the language of each people all Haman's orders to the king's satraps, the governors of the various provinces, and the nobles of the various peoples. They wrote it in all the languages. These were written in the name of King Xerxes himself and sealed with his own ring. Verse 13, Dispatches were sent 
by couriers to all the king's provinces with the orders to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews. Now hang on a second. Getting a little excessive here, aren't we? We're going to destroy and then kill and then annihilate. It just seems like we've got a little pent-up frustration here, right? Well, what is he really saying, though? He's really saying, look, I can maybe destroy your life and you still can live. I can crush you and you could still be alive. I want to destroy your life. I want to kill you. But I could destroy you and then kill you and you have a family that could succeed you and carry on your work. Carry on your strange customs. Carry on who you really are. So I want to destroy you. I want to kill you. And I want to annihilate you. Those words there, when you look those up in the original language, they're talking about to make an entire kingdom vanish. No wonder that when they're talking through the story to this day, in the morning when they have a festival at a Jewish synagogue, they're all going to be booing every time you, you say the name of Haman, and they're going to be stomping their feet, their feet so loudly that you can't hear when his name is uttered in the story. How many times throughout history has this been repeated for God's people? People wanting to destroy, kill, and annihilate. You know something I found out while I was studying? Um, our country signed a, a, uh, an arms agreement, a nuclear agreement with the country of Iran. You know what day they signed that? The 13th day of the first month on the Jewish calendar last year. Happened, I think it was April 1st. Something around there. I don't remember actually our, our calendar date. It was the 13th day of the first month. Incredible. The same spirit that was there is just being replicated out again. Oh no, we're, we're doing it to, to stop this from happening. The same day, folks. Incredible. Turn to Esther chapter 4. Let's read verse 14 again. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your, family, your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. The idea that she actually didn't understand her part fully without her uncle Mordecai. Let's turn to John chapter 4 and verse 22. John chapter 4 and verse 22. The truth is, as the Gentiles, we wouldn't understand our part in this, our king's plan without the nation of Israel. John 4, 22 says this, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Turn to Acts chapter 13, verse 26. Brothers, children of Abraham... 
and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. It was to the Jews that it was sent, and we have been so graciously grafted in to what God has for them. <laughs> we would have no idea what our part in this thing was, except for our uncle Mordecai bringing it to us. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to read something to you. In chapter 3 and verse 13, we talked about that they wanted to be destruction, killing, and annihilation of God's people. Destroy, kill, annihilate. John 10.10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus Christ came that we can have life and have it abundantly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let's start in verse 7. It says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this light that's shown out of darkness. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on, on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. We always carry that around. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that His life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. There is a pressure that's on us as believers. There is a pressure for us to achieve what we think we should achieve. There is a pressure from the enemy. There is a pressure from our families. There is a pressure from our finances. There are pressures that are there. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed. <laughs> Lord, I don't quite know how this is supposed to work. I don't get this. We're looking for a house. We're looking for something. We're trying to do this, Lord. I just don't understand what the next step for my family is supposed to be. I'm a little confused. I think this is five steps from now. I think this is ten steps from now. I think this is what you want ten years from now. But I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. I'm perplexed. But you know what I'm not? I'm not in despair. I'm not in despair. You know why? Because His life is working in me. I understand that I see everything that I've seen thus far, everything that I can think of in the story of Esther, and in 500 other scriptures shows that I may be perplexed. I'm not going to pretend like I'm not. But I'm not in despair. Goodness gracious, because I say I don't know what the next step is, doesn't mean, no, I know that God has got something in store here. I am persecuted, but not abandoned. <laughs> I love that thought. I think I can handle persecution better when I know that I just won't have to do it all by myself. Amen. There's something about having a brotherhood of believers. 
The world says it this way. It says, misery loves company. That's the way the world says it. Misery loves company. In other words, if I'm having a bad day, I want to share with you all of my bad day. So that we can commiserate together. We can jump in misery together. The Bible says, in an incredible way, I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. We don't get around and talk about how bad things are. We don't share with each other um, the, the one-upmanship that comes from having a bad day, right? Right? Have you ever, uh, parent, young parents will do this too. Uh, people in almost every profession do this at some point. You're like, man, I had such a rough day. Let me tell you about it. And you share a few things. And somebody's like, <laughs> you know what? I can top you. Because my day was this much worse than your day. Right? Share, share somebody, if you've got a scar from an injury, just share it, share it about it. See what people do. Oh, you think that's bad? I saw this. Or this happened, right? We're always trying to... That's, that's, that's getting it the wrong way. Persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We stand with each other. And truthfully, even if we do stand alone, then the Lord stands with us and we're never alone. Even if every single person leaves us, Jesus Christ understood that. He stood there at the cross and everyone left him. And then his father even turned his back on him. (sighs) Don't do that, Lord. Don't remove your spirit from us. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. I want, to, I want to wrap this up quickly. Back in Esther, chapter 6. And we'll wrap it up. What the enemy means to be our day of destruction is our greatest victory. It can turn into our greatest victory. The thing that you thought was the most dissonant, the most out of place in your life, It's almost like what Genesis 50 tells us, that what the enemy has meant for harm, the Lord will work it out for our good. He just work it out. He won't abandon you. You should not be in despair. Chapter 6, verse 4 says this. The king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the court out of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows that he had built for him. Um, at this point, we go through, it's found out after two days of feasting that Esther had prepared. Two days. She walked in, hey, come to the feast. They leave. It's when the king has the thoughts about, hey, there was a man that I was supposed to honor. I didn't honor him. Hey, Haman, what would you do to honor somebody that really needed to be honored? Haman thinks it's him. It's Mordecai. So Haman has to then execute, has to do all of the, the things that he just pronounced because he thought it was going to be his bonus. And he has to go walk out in front of Mordecai and say, Hey, this guy's great. It, Haman is there now. The next morning, he gets found out that he's the bad guy. He, he, it's getting revealed. It's getting revealed here. Um, and then verse chapter, in verse, I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 4. This is the moment of revelation here. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. 
destructions, slaughter, annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this vile Haman. The adversary and enemy. Where are those words normally used? For Satan himself. The adversary, the enemy, is this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. I'm sure he was. The king got up in a rage, <laughs> left his wine. You know he was serious then. <laughs> Just kidding. And went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing the king, had already decided his fate. We know that Haman will end up getting hung, hanged, on the gallows that he built to kill Mordecai. But right here, the accuser of God's people, his fate is sealed. The fate of the accuser is sealed. Turn to uh, John chapter 8. Just a few more scriptures. John chapter 8, verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts. This is speaking of Jesus after he went to the Mount of Olives, where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. By the way, the prescribed law was that you would bring both parties, both guilty parties, the male and the female, would be brought in. We're not interested in justice here. We're trying to catch Jesus. They, made, they brought her in to stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Well, that's awkward. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? Verse, verse 6, they were using this as a question, as a trap, in order to have a basis for accusing him. Again, <laughs> concerned in the least bit with justice, with righteousness. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one accused you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. The accuser's fate has been decided. Those who try to accuse you, there's been a fate that's been decided. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12 and 10. Revelation 12, 10 says this, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, I'm glad it's a loud voice. Glad there's no question. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. 
for the accuser of the brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. The one who stands there making those accusations. So what does that mean? We're going to read one more scripture, but what does this mean? It means that if you're constantly having thoughts that are in an accusatory nature about yourself, you need to cast those things down. If there are voices in your life that are accusing you, the accuser of the brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 22. It says this. Let's read verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds. Boy, isn't that interesting? You were an enemy in your mind. I never did anything wrong. You were an enemy in your mind. Pastor Eric started the evening off with, a fool says in his heart there is no God. I mean, I wasn't a bad person. You were an enemy in your mind. Because of your evil behavior. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, through the completed work of the cross, to present you in His sight, I'm sorry, to present you holy in His sight, without blemish, and what are those next words? Free from accusation. How does Purim and the resurrection fit together? Our accuser has been cast down. His fate has been sealed. The decision is made. Just because you don't see the outworking of it, just because you don't see the final product of it yet, doesn't mean that the decision isn't already made. Have you made a decision and just you're waiting, you're waiting for the time to tell someone? I, unfortunately, I've had to let people go in a job before. I have had once or twice where I made the decision in the room with the person realizing that it wasn't going to work out and I did it there. But I've also had some going, no, this is just not going to work. The decision was made even though that person was still employed. <laughs> they, were on a, they were on a short clock. They may not have known it, but I knew it. Our enemy is on a very, very short clock. <laughs> Our symphony is crescendoing to God's finale, the completion of what He's got with our lives and with this plan as a whole. And His design was that through the cross, He would present us holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Amen. Without blemish. We are to be free from accusation as we stand before Him. I want to encourage you tonight. I know it's a Wednesday night. It's important that we are able to understand that we can stand free from accusation before the Lord. We can walk in holiness. We can walk with our life trusting Him that He is orchestrating every consonance and every dissonance. The beautiful open chords and the ones that are causing tension because it's so close to another one. God is at work in us and He's showing us (laughs) 
They celebrate Purim on the 14th day of Adar every year. It is, a, it is an incredible feast because they can say, hey, the accuser was cast down. The one that wanted to take my life, that is the exact fate that boomeranged back onto him. And it disposed of him in the way that he was trying to dispose of us. He wanted to bring death and destruction and annihilation. And what God did was he brought us abundant life. We're going to worship just a little bit. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure that you are standing before the Lord, holy in His sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Holy in His sight. Holy. What we put our hands to must be holy. What we put our minds on must be holy. Because He is worth it. What He did on the cross allows us to be so. Free from blemishes. Free. Lord, when You cover me with Your Spirit, when You wash me with Your blood, when You wash me with Your Spirit, Lord, I can stand before You free from blemish, with, without blemish and free from accusation. Would you stand to your feet?